From the hills of central New York in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My guest on this episode of Frankly Speaking is Jeff Gullickson, certified golf course superintendent at Kalispell Golf and Country Club in Spokane, Washington. Jeff is a proud Cougar receiving his bachelor's and master's degree from Washington State University. He's been a golf course superintendent at multiple facilities over the 30 years of his career, but is best known for founding and naming the First Green Foundation and the program now being administered by the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. There are only a few pioneers in the golf industry anymore, and Jeff Gullickson is certainly one of them. Jeff and I have had the pleasure of working with golf course superintendents interested in promoting environmental stewardship and sharing it through the First Green program. When it comes to environmental stewardship, spray application technology is an important aspect of protecting the environment, putting the right product in the right place at the right time. The pros at Frost Spray Technology have expertise in GPS technology, drone applications, and the nuts and bolts of nozzles, pumps, and controllers. Frost Spray Technologies has expertise you can rely on. Learn more about all of this at frostserve.com. That's frost, S-E-R-V, dot com. Welcome to Frankly Speaking, Jeff Gullickson. It has been a long time we have known each other. Gosh, I think I remember meeting you all the way back in the early 90s when our paths crossed out of mutual interest around the Audubon program. Of course, you've had a, a long time on golf courses, and I know now you're even coaching golf, which is totally cool and involved in first green, and we're going to get to all that stuff. But I'm kind of curious, Jeff, what drew you to working on golf courses, and how did it all start for you? Well, you know, it started with playing golf as a kid with my dad, and then I wanted to continue playing, so I got a job. When you're 16, you need money, so you start working in a pro shop. That's where the jobs are at. Unique thing, I was a pretty good player and wanted to be a professional golfer. I thought that was my career path. I'm going to be a professional golfer. I wanted to compete against Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson and all those boyhood idols until sophomore year in high school. And I went to this seminar by the guy named Bill Meyer, and he was teaching on the mental side of golf. And he had just coached Freddie Couples and a lot of college players. He was a college golf coach. And he made a comment at this seminar, if you want to be a professional golfer, you need to practice eight hours a day. And I said, time out. I can't spend five minutes on a driving range because I get bored. So back to the pro shop, the superintendent of the golf course came in and said, hey, you want to learn how to water? And I go, what's that involved? He goes, it means driving a tractor. And I go, sold. Hey, if I get your job, I can be on the golf course the rest of my life and I don't have to practice, sign me up. So the work, you know, obviously, you know, we disparage uh, the poor golf pros all the time, right? That you majored in sweater folding and right, exactly, and shoe organization. And then you all of a sudden went out there and started getting dirty. It appears as a lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest, much like many of the people I know out there, you've always been very outdoors kind of guy. Yeah, golf was just something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed playing with my dad and then being outside and working with my hands. And, you know, working a golf course, it's so fun to see your – it's one job that you can see progress. Hey, you mow something, you can see results. And so that kind of got my stimulus going, and I realized that you can get an education in this, and there we go. And where'd you go? So that's another story. My grandfather, a guy by the name of Dr. Vogel, 
was a wheat breeder at Washington State University, and he's the guy responsible. When he came to the Northwest in 1939 from Nebraska, wheat was six feet tall. He's the one responsible for making it three feet tall. He's the inventor of the semi-dwarfed wheats that are now worldwide. Him and Norman Borlaug. He gave his genetics to Norman Borlaug, and Norman Borlaug did the political work of getting countries to grow grandpa's wheat. So grandpa did the genetics and did the breeding. Norman Borlaug did the PR work and get all the other countries growing it, but it was grandpa's genetics. And Borlaug gave grandpa the credit, but he doesn't get the Nobel Peace Prize. Norman Borlaug does because he's the front of it. So Okay, so this is in your genes to study this. Right, so like they were in Pullman, WSU, but they didn't have a turf program. So I was looking at all the turf programs across the country, you know, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon State, and my grandpa called me my senior year and says, hey, we just hired a turf grass professor, Dr. Johnston. Perfect. I can now be a cougar and spend time with my grandpa. How cool is that? So did you, you got your bachelor's and a master's? And a master's, because when I got done with my bachelor's degree, I was married and had a kid who was actually born on my grandmother's 81st birthday, and my grandparents loved on us. But going to grad school, I met two more years spending time with my grandparents. And my senior year, you'll appreciate this, so my senior year, I was at the turf plots, and my Dr. Johnston gave me this article, and it was written by a gentleman from Michigan State, and he was, at the time he was a superintendent, and his boss came to him and said, hey, we want to do this tree planting program on the golf course, so I want you to go get all the architects, golf pros, engineers, soils guys to consult on this project because we don't want to screw up this project. And the superintendent looked him in the eye and said, sir, I'm a college-educated golf course superintendent. I've been on this property for seven years. I think I can handle this. What do you think I am, chopped liver? So it's that chopped liver story says, I don't ever want to be a superintendent and have an accountant, a doctor, an attorney, a lawyer come to me and tell me how to grow grass because I have a master's degree and I'm a professional in you know agronomy. And so that was the academic reason I went to get a graduate degree in addition to the personal reason of being with my grandpa for another couple of years. Okay, so you finish up with Bill Johnston, who passed away a few years ago, and unfortunately there's no more turfgrass program uh, at Washington State, at least as I understand it. I know that Gwen had something going at Walla Walla, and I know she's retired now, and Eric Miltner's long moved on from Pullyallup. So you stayed in eastern Washington to work on golf courses out there, and then eventually became the superintendent at Spokane Country Club. Correct. I left Pullman, ended up with the West Side for a few years, and then got to Spokane in 2000. So I've been here at Spokane Country Club, which is now Kalispell Golf and Country Club, for 24 years. So along the way, it looks like you were at Mint Valley, Longview yep. Country Club, both as a superintendent, as an assistant. And so, you know, you had your master's degree and in spite of maybe some of the frustrations of having to listen to golfers tell you that you needed to know a little bit more, you stuck with it. But obviously you've been involved in other things. Do you still keep up on your golf game? I know you're coaching golf right now. What sort of kept you interested in staying in the golf profession? Because it seems like you had opportunities beyond just being a golf course superintendent. It's just the passion for the game of golf, the history of golf, just the love of the game. You know, the unique story of it is that I just love coming to the golf course. I love the sunrises. I love the sunsets. Hopefully I don't see them at the 
on the same day at the golf course. But there's just something natural beauty about the golf and the game of golf and the enjoyment of watching others enjoy your handiwork. That just is a draw for me to get into it. And so anything I can do to grow the game, that's why I got started in all the different things I've done, just to get other golfers engaged into enjoying this recreational opportunity. So it sounds like your path uh, crossed again with Bill Meyer when you started to work on using golf courses as environmental learning labs. Has this been a lifelong relationship with you and Bill? No, it was, it went dark. After he told me to be a golf professional, he didn't connect with me in, for 19 years. Hmm. And then I was in Bellevue at Overlake, the superintendent, and he lives in Bellevue. And he was working with the state FFA teachers, and he called the local superintendent. Hey, Jeff Collison, Bill Meyer, and I'm working with some teachers. Do you want to get together to talk about how we can use golf courses to help these teachers? And I said, sure. So we reacquainted, got together after a 19-year absence, and started first game. Okay, now, somewhere in there, Jeff, a couple of things come up. One is you're a golf course superintendent and you want to share your handiwork. There's lots of ways to do that. At the same time, Audubon International, when Ron Dodson was leading it back in the day, was beginning to start to work with the cooperative sanctuary program and also the outreach program that was starting to bring schools in. Talk a little bit about why you felt like working with FFA teachers and going and working with advanced placement classes. I I guess I'm sort of wondering about the genesis of that idea of sharing the course in this unique way. Was it because Audubon was out there or because this was already in, in your mind that something you could capitalize on? What was the origin of this thinking back in the early 90s, I suspect? Yeah, it had nothing to do with Audubon at the time because we were kind of getting started in our own path. It pretty much got connected with the ag teachers here in the state of Washington who at their state conference, they're teaching agriculture and floriculture and agronomy and soils and doing with kids. I'm going, this is a great tie-in. And I'm looking for employees and high school kids and getting kids into the game of golf as superintendents or greenskeepers or irrigation techs, trying to recruit kids into this industry Mm. at the same time teaching them what golf courses are. Because if you remember the early 90s, there was a lot of anti-golf movement that I thought was just silly. So this is not accurate. But the only way to prove it is for kids to physically do the work and do your testing and say, nope, this is true, this is false. So it was the genesis of more teachers, ag teachers, giving them an outlet that they could teach on the golf course and then I could have access to, to employees and students and teach them what's true and not true on the golf course. So it's got to have some sense of irony That you were starting out, and I remember in the early 90s, right, there was a lot of concern about chemical use on golf courses. The USGA. Toxic fairways. Yeah, toxic fairways back here on Long Island where a lot of my colleagues and good friends innocently answered questions that were then used against them. Now, seeing the irony that really we're back trying to work with FFA teachers and VOAG programs are really exploding across the country Obviously, with the First Green program, but even outside of the First Green program, there are workforce development projects that Tyler Bloom is working on and integrating with FFA programs. This has got to be enormously gratifying to you on one level. 
on another level, I'm wondering about the nuts and bolts of this. It seems like my travels out to that part of the world is there's a lot more connection to the natural world in the Pacific Northwest than you see in many other parts of the country. There's a lot of natural resources out there. Was this a way for you to show how golf courses to ag teachers could be a way of preserving some of these natural resources. I'm especially thinking about, you know, salmon and rivers and things like that. Did you have that in your mind when you started doing this work, that this was a way of tying in natural resources as well as golf course management with the ag teachers? The teachers were already teaching science and soils. I was trying to give them an application because in the classroom, they don't have real life experiences. The golf courses are close to schools, and so they could go to the golf course and do actual soil testing, could actually go to the golf course and do water testing, things that they're trying to teach in their classroom, but they don't have a real-life experience. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to provide the outlet for these ag teachers to reinforce real-life situations at a golf course, and then you're getting kids on a golf course, breaking down the barriers of the stereotype of Mm -hmm. golf is only for the rich and, you know, there's jobs and careers and all those other components that come along with getting out of the classroom and going to a golf course and having fun because golf is a game. Okay, we'll take a break after this question, but I want to talk a little bit about how it started with just working with ag teachers and then morphed into this thing called First Green. What was the leap that you took from having that interest and just wanting to do that stuff of working with FFA teachers and founding the First Green program. So to get from working with ag teachers, you know, we had this going, but at the same time, I'm trying to connect with ag teachers, but I'm also trying to get awareness for others, whether it's the national FFA or uh, golf course superintendents across the state or even the Northwest or across the country, trying to get them involved. I had to come up with a name for this. And so we came up with the idea of, hey, let's go with first green, because in order to get from the first tee to the first green, you got to walk through the environment. The whole name came about because we got to get our targets the first green, the first hole, the targets the first green. Then once we started going, it became the need to help fundraise to provide resources for teachers who have no money have no supplies, have no way to get to a golf course because they need a bus and they need a substitute. So then I'm starting to fundraise. And so then that's where, okay, we got a name. Let's go with this. Let's copyright that. I started with high school kids because that was my component with jobs. And now predominantly first green field trips are middle school kids because middle schools come with a teacher. High school kids have six or seven teachers. And so it's harder to get high school kids out of seven classes than it is for a whole sixth grade class to come to the golf course for the day. So it was a lot easier to facilitate middle school kids than it is high school kids. So we're now kind of coming full circle because now we're looking at workforce development. So now we're going back to the high school kids. It's like, okay, (laughs) we're going back there where we started And we took this little side venture to blow it up with the fifth and sixth graders because it's an easier connection and an easier transportation and less expensive 
just to get that group on a golf course. And now we're kind of going back to the uh, the high school kids because that's where the careers are looking. I'm Frank Rossi. I'm with Jeff Gullickson, Certified Golf Course Superintendent at Calspell Golf and Country Club. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. It's so refreshing to hear Jeff discuss water as an important resource to the next generation of students interested in natural resources. And using water more efficiently often requires the use of wetting agents such as the Hydration A technology from the plant food company. Managing localized dry spots and promoting more uniform wetting of soils might require Hydration AC fertigation through the irrigation system for fence-to-fence treatment. Learn more about improving water management from your local plant food rep or at plantfoodco.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. Frank Rossi here with my pal Jeff Gullickson, who has devoted a significant amount of his time away from the golf course into building what has now become really a standard in the industry, the First Green program that now the GCSAA has gotten involved in. Now, Jeff, when you started this thing, I mean, obviously you got a full-time job as a golf course superintendent, and it was only Washington-based at the time. It looks like you had to get involved with the Office of Public Instruction. It looks like you had to develop a board of directors, work with the State Golf Association. How did you find the time uh, to do this in and amongst uh, being a golf course superintendent? And maybe I should ask your wife and kids this question. Yeah. Well, so bring back Bill Meyer. So Bill Meyer's role in all of this, he's the unsung hero. He's the one who's on the Washington State Golf Board. He was the one that was working with OSPI. He was doing the selling of the golf boards in the state of Washington to get their buy-in on this and selling them because he was looking at funding Evans scholarships. And if you know much about the Evans scholarship, it's a very expensive scholarship for a few students. It's a great scholarship. It's a great program. But you're giving a whole lot of money, four years of tuition to one student, Versus we could give those same dollars to several hundred students in first green and get kids to golf courses and grow the game of golf. So he was looking at, he was instrumental in connecting the Pacific Northwest Golf Association and the Washington State Golf Board to what we were doing in the high school. And also he was creating relationships with the OSBI, the Office of Public Instruction in the state. He was working on that connection while I was working with teachers and golf course superintendents. So between the two of us, we were kind of blending those two roles. I was building connections with other superintendents and regional golf associations and getting others involved on the golf course end of it while he was doing the kind of the high-end stuff. So it was a real partnership, and then Karen Armstead came in to become the executive director. Correct. When it got to the point that we could not manage it, just the two of us. So then Karen came in and managed the day-to-day and brought in kind of the media, brought in Steve Keeley to do a lot of the Bellevue operations that were going on. And it got too big for just us and getting grants and working with superintendents from across the country. It was too much for me to do. And so she was brought in to kind of carry that load. 
So it was no longer just a Washington-based thing at the time in the early 2000s. It was starting to go national. And was it ever formally associated with Audubon International, or was it always an informal association? Yeah, it was never connected with Audubon. They started kind of their own satellite program of taking field trips to golf courses to do Audubon stuff, and they tried to create some educational components, and they were successful to some level of what they were doing. But it was never directly connected to Audubon. We're kind of going down parallel paths. Coming of the early 2000s, finally getting some traction. GCSA was aware of what I was doing, but were not invested into it. We had approached them several times, and it wasn't on their radar. And so they didn't jump at the opportunity until we got into, you know, 2010, 11, 12. Then they started to look, you know what, this makes sense. So it took a while to get GCSA's attention on the value of what this could do for the industry. And in the meantime, you know, you're plugging along on it every day, again, primarily working in Washington State, right? Right. And that made it a little bit easier to manage, right? Because you, you know, it was a smaller region. There was a, a limited group of people who could participate in those early years. And let's take Steve Keeley as an example. I mean, obviously you did it and sort of felt the rush you get from sharing it with young people and seeing that look in their eye. I'm assuming for Steve, it was the same thing. And some of the early superintendents you were working with, you know, at first you said you were working with middle school people. Talk a little bit about those early years of the excitement that you saw seeing your sort of idea and dream become reality, even though it was in a, in a small area, it was working pretty well. It looked like it was motivating teachers and it was accomplishing your goal of promoting the golf course as a community asset. Yeah, it started out with some teacher-superintendent relationships, and then they started growing. So it was exciting to see it grow within the state of Washington. And uniquely, I was in Bellevue. Steve Keeley was a neighboring golf course. And there was a teacher I was working with whose school is three blocks from Steve Keeley's golf course. And then when I moved to Spokane, I basically said, Steve, meet Lynn McKay. She's a teacher at Sammamish High School, three blocks from you. She's been coming to my golf course, but now she's going to come to your golf course. And so I introduced those two. I left for Spokane, and then they flourished in everything that Steve Keeley has done at Glendale. So I basically passed off to one of the teachers I was working with, and those two made the connection. And Lynn McKay and, and Karen Armstar became great friends, and that chemistry in Bellevue took off, which was like kind of the central component to our operations because that was Western Washington and everyone's right there in Bellevue Mm -hmm. to make it all work. So talk a little bit about that transition, right? You'd been talking to the GCSA and, you know, I know over the years, GCSA certainly likes, you know, a fair amount of, I don't want to use the word too harshly, but control or ownership of some of the things they put their name on. This was something that you had already been successful for a really long time. In your mind, what changed in the conversation in in 10 and 11? Was it the recession and maybe some of the challenges that brought? What do you think led to the change in the conversation with the GCSA, seeing this as a more important aspect of their efforts? Well, I think going through, I remember Karen and I going to a board meeting when Sean Houlihan was president down at Wild Horse down in Oregon. And we went to a board meeting to make a presentation to the board. And this had to have been 2006, 7. And it just, it fell on deaf ears. 
And Steve Mona could see it, but he couldn't. The board is the one that makes the decision. So the board of directors, other than Sean Houlihan, who's in Oregon, he understands that he couldn't convince the board to get involved. And so then it wasn't until Rhett Evans got in that Rhett was invited by Steve Keeley and others to come to Bellevue to actually come to a field trip. And it would have been late, you know, 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in that time frame. When Rhett got to the golf course and actually saw this take place, that's when the light bulb turned and goes, I get it. So it takes seeing it, the kids, the excitement, the fun, the energy. Once you see it or once you're as a superintendent, do it the first time, you're hooked. But it took that transition and now... You know, once Rhett side, okay, then he could put wheels in motion to make the GCSA favorable, and then the transition to now GCSA taking over. Let's talk a little bit about that. How involved are you still? And I see the website, the firstgreen.org website, and it's obviously GCSA stuff all over it. In fact, the staff includes all the field people uh, involved with the GCSA. How involved are all of you, uh, Bill and Karen and you, How involved are you still? You know, I'm still involved as far as I'm just a superintendent who does first grade field trips. And so I do them and I participate. I help Leanne at conferences and Steve Keeley helps as well. We put on a seminar at GCSA every year on how to teach superintendents on how to get field trips. And so we work with the field staff and train them. And now it's a perfect model for it to carry forward because you got field reps that are kind of that liaison to get golf courses and teachers connected. So my involvement now is as a support individual, as somebody who does it on the golf course and still hosts field trips and all of that. But the day-to-day stuff, I don't have to fundraise and don't have to, to kick down doors to sell it to people that this is a neat idea. You want to get involved. I need help. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't need the suitcase at GCSA trade shows anymore. Jeff, let's uh, take another break. I'm with Jeff Gullickson, Certified Golf Course Superintendent at Kalispell Golf and Country Club. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. Some new research is being released on the value of sand injection, and it's showing that sand injection is as effective as holotine cultivation in improving infiltration and managing organic matter. DryJack Services offers state-of-the-art sand injection at any depth, even shallow depths, regardless if the sand is wet or dry. DryJack Services offers a sustainable sand injection service that research is proving to benefit your playing surfaces. If you'd like to learn more, contact your local DryJack rep, or for more information, visit dryjack.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm with my friend Jeff Gullickson, Certified Golf Course Superintendent at Kalispell Golf and Country Club. Jeff, it's got to be enormously gratifying. As I look through the website, I see uh, Florida, I see New York, I see Missouri, I see math teachers, I see science teachers, I see all kinds of teachers. I hear a lot about STEM, right? It almost was ahead of its time Talk a little bit about how gratifying it is for you to see it be what it is after those, you know, simple ideas of wanting to promote golf, gosh, close to 30 years ago. And I'm wondering if you hear any stories that really move you about describing how these everybody gets hooked once they start doing it. 
Well, you know, it's fun to see and read testimonies of superintendents who've done it for the first time because I relive how the excitement that I had when I got started, the excitement and the energy that the kids bring to the golf course. That positive energy, the positive impact that golf course superintendents are having on a community, the positive impact that the superintendents are having to tell the real environmental story of what a golf course is to a community. And getting kids hitting a golf ball on a golf course, therefore they're technically golfers, and just having fun, because golf is supposed to be fun, (laughs) and just making people aware of what a golf course is. So it's really gratifying to see new people taking the lead and moving forward, and I can tell by their passion that they're hooked, and they'll tell their neighbors and tell their fellow superintendents, and then it's going to continue. So, no, it's really exciting and gratifying there. Okay, what would you say to superintendents that might be on the fence about this? Oh, I don't think my members are like it. Oh, I got to spray. You know, what if pesticides come up? Oh, you know, I irrigate. What do you say to superintendents that might have some trepidation in opening the golf course up like this? Well, first off, you got the wrong attitude of your, most of your members are excited to see kids on the golf course. Most of the members have kids or grandkids, and it's a fun place to be. So most of your members are going to be excited about it. Yes, you have to be smart about scheduling it, so you're not going to schedule it on a time when there's a, an 8 o'clock shotgun and the golf course is completely full and you got kids out there. So you got to schedule it on days when you can have kids out there and there's not a lot of impact to the game of golf. But the way the game of golf works, you start on the first hole, and you got four hours until you get to the 18th hole. So there's a window there if you work on the back nine. You can have kids in and out, and they're not impacted by players. So getting access to the golf course is easy. And superintendents who may be hesitant to do this, and I'll use the example of water. My golf course, we will never irrigate with bottled water. We have to use water to drink before we use it to irrigate. Golf courses pay for water, but we are very judicially responsible for only putting down the water that the grass plant needs when it needs it and only how much it needs through the use of technology and TDRs and weather stations and computerized systems. And I always ask the chaperones, the parents, I said, do you guys have home lawns with irrigation systems? And they'll say, yes. And I go, how often do you water? And I go, every night. And I go, how long? And they go, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I go, why are you wasting water? Because the analogy is your human body, I ask the kids, what's the best meal of the year? And they go, Thanksgiving. I go, perfect. What happens if you had Thanksgiving dinner every single night of the year? And I go, we would be unhealthy. Okay, same analogy. What happens if you water your lawn every single night of the year and it doesn't need it? You're wasting it, and that grass is going to be healthy. Let that grass plant work. Let those roots work. Let them be thirsty. Give them a drink of water and only as much as they need it when they need it. That's what golf course superintendents do. We use this technology to give the grass plant only the amount of water it needs when it needs it and only as much as it needs it so those grass plants are going to work. I use that analogy to teach kids and parents that golf course superintendents are really smart and how we manage water. We do the same thing with fertility. We only feed it what it needs through microsprays, through growth regulators, through all the things. We're only giving the plant what it needs and when it needs it. As you know, 
the best golf turf to play golf on is brown, dead, hard grass. <laughs> but if it's brown, dead, hard, I'm going to lose my job and my kids are going to starve. People like the color green. So we as superintendents want to get it to that stress level for performance on the golf course, but you know, not overwatering, not over fertilizing. So it's going to be the best performing at the same time. It's going to be the healthiest. So if I'm a golf superintendent, now you've convinced me, give me a couple analogies. You give me some nice quick tips right there. What are the resources available if I am thinking about doing this? Do I just contact my field person and start to coordinate that? Do I have to have a local school that I think will work with me? I know I don't have time to be chasing down which school to work with. What's the first step they should take to finding resources or thinking about how to go about it? So the first place I'd send you to is the GCSAA, and you can fill out a questionnaire there and say, hey, I'm interested most likely contacted by a field rep. They can get you in touch in, on how to do this. Maybe there's some superintendents you can go shadow that are doing one next door. The biggest connection is with a teacher. So if you're a golf course superintendent and you have a child in school, I'm hopeful that you know some of their teachers. So middle school or high school, I'm hoping you've gone to a teacher-parent conference and you talk to a math teacher, a science teacher, a horticulture teacher, or a biology teacher, You've met a teacher and they said, hey, how would you like to take your class to a field trip at the golf course? At no cost to you because GCSA will pay for the bus. So it's free, a free field trip. Come to my golf course. You're teaching my kid biology. We'll come to my golf course. We'll teach biology on the golf course. We'll have fun for the day. Would you like to take a field trip end of the school year when you're burnt out? Let me be the teacher. If you have kids in school, you should know teachers. Or you have former teachers that play your golf course. There's access to your school system, and then your field rep can help facilitate what this look like because they've all done it. When you were getting this going, Jeff, did you find some resistance talking to teachers because of the perception, particularly in the early 90s? For some superintendents, it, they may know a teacher. They may even be married to a teacher, and there's other teachers in the in the school, and maybe the there's a little negative perception still that persists about teachers. Did you uh, find any of that? And how did you work through some of that? I can honestly say I didn't find a lot of resistance to teachers from a environmental standpoint. I found resistance from teachers from a financial standpoint. I don't have any money. My school doesn't have any money. Hmm. Well, I didn't have any money when I was running first green because I was trying to fundraise just to get communications out. But the First Green now has sponsorships of the program. They will provide $250 grants or $500 grants for schools to take those field trips. So there's not a financial burden for a school now. If they want to go, that money's available. And so it wasn't environmental hesitance. It was a, I don't have time, I don't have money to do this. Well, now this says they can provide the resources, and you just need to schedule it with the school to get the bus to take the trip. Okay, one of the first things you said when you envisioned doing this, Jeff, was thought it would be a way to get employees. And working with FFA, uh, I interact with some FFA folks here in my agricultural science major here at Cornell. They're very organized and very well-focused and obviously career and, and leadership-oriented. Has it developed into a source of labor for you and, and also I see Leanne's efforts at the GCSAA has evolved into workforce development stuff for the GCSAA. Have you started to see the success of 
students that have been through First Green now becoming part of our industry? Yes. <laughs> I've had two assistant superintendents that first exposure was through First Green Field Trips, two or three assistants, two or three superintendents. So, yes, I have seen kids get into the golf course industry because of a field trip. Now, I've been doing this for 27 years, so yeah. <laughs> it's taken time. And these, you know, 10, 15 years into it, now they're superintendents. It took that time for them to go through it, you know, the colleges and work on crews and get those jobs. But, yes, this industry has been impacted by students who took field trips on golf courses, and now they're working in the industry. And, of course, this has been a major issue facing the golf industry is not having the labor. So you would encourage superintendents to get involved, and maybe the FFA is a good place to start. I know we were trying to schedule a time to do this once before, and you said you were interacting still with FFA teachers you met 27 years ago. So is the FFA a good uh, avenue to do a first green and maybe also start to recruit employees? It still is. Yeah, FFA is still viable. FFA is changing, just like all things. You know, agriculture, in a sense, is getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So now these teachers are, you know, teaching not just floriculture, they're teaching five different classes because there's fewer teachers in the vocational education systems Mm -hmm. within high schools, which is not a good trend. Um, We're losing a lot of vocational programs. We still somehow need to hire plumbers and electricians and groundskeepers that those programs would expose kids to. So FFA is still vocational agriculture, vocational education is still an avenue to access kids that maybe have interest in this career. I got to say, Jeff, all the years uh, that I've known you, and certainly we haven't interacted much in the last 20 some odd years, I used to make a lot more trips out to that neck of the woods uh, speaking out there. I've always been impressed that you viewed the golf course as something we should open up to the community and use it as a place to educate people in the community, that it it can be a focal point in the community. And so obviously you're a real community-minded guy. And this obviously made the paper, uh, at least last year, on some of the work you've done to bring some of the high school golf programs together to bring some community around that. Now that you're not responsible for some of the first green stuff, it seems you filled it with both coaching golf and bringing together some of the Spokane area golf teams. Talk a little bit about what you've done there. So I got into coaching when my kid was in high school and that was 17 years ago. So the interesting thing about high school golf I'm kind of wrapping up my coaching career, but in the last few years, I've brought together 40 different high schools from all across Eastern Washington for an event at my golf course and also a banquet for 680 high school kids, um, which the tribe that I work for is very generous and has been very supportive of. But the concept that I've realized in coaching high school golf is that you have kids at a school that go to a golf course to practice. So these kids don't need a bus to get to a golf course because they are there for practice. One of the things that I've realized in coaching is that I coach at a small school. They're the beginners. Of my 14 golf team members, 12 of them are truly beginners. They don't know the rules of golf, let alone how to swing a golf club. So I'm teaching the rules of golf. I'm teaching about how to make a drop from a hazard. You know what? Let's talk. What is a hazard? How we as golf course superintendents teach about hazards. 
we teach about playing the game of golf, having fun on the golf course. And you know what? You see that mower there or that roller there or that cup cutter there? Would you guys like to drive those? Would you like to get paid to drive those? Free advertisements for golf course superintendents who can help teach the rules of golf because nobody's teaching. Golf pros do a great job of teaching the swing because that's a lesson, but they're not teaching the rules of golf. How do I drop out of a GUR? How do I drop out of a red hazard, a yellow hazard? So if golf course superintendents can help a golf coach, who's a teacher most likely, at a school close by, most likely, teach them about the rules of golf and just happen to have a roller and a mower and a cup cutter and how do we cut cups and why do we cut cups? Would you guys like a job doing this? Boom. So now you're getting education opportunities. Looks a little different than first green, but it really is. Mm-hmm. Built the golf courses, but you're already there. And as a golf coach, I would love the superintendent to take seven of my kids to go a little activity while I work with these seven. And then when I get done with this, why don't you guys swap? The superintendent can go talk about rules and talk about mowing and bunker raking, how to rake a bunker and all that. Nobody teaches that. Who teaches beginners how to fix a ball mark? Who teaches a beginner how to rake a bunker? And let the superintendent do that. And then, oh, by the way, create an impact. Listen, Jeff, as we wrap up, Obviously, this has been a lifelong passion for you, Uh, whether you knew it or not. It was something that you really saw as an opportunity and then invested the time. But, you know, you don't do it alone. You mentioned that the tribe you're working for has been supportive of this. Obviously, you were doing it before you were at this particular location. Talk a little bit about the support you've received from the places that you've worked at and from your uh, family to really bring this idea to the fruition that it's enjoying now. The company that I work for now is very community-oriented, and they're very generous towards the community. And so hosting a golf tournament for 170 kids on my golf course to give me the whole day is something that the tribe is supportive of. A private club, a membership, not as favorable to giving up the entire day. For whatever selfish, unselfish reason that is, the tribe is very generous and gives me the whole golf course for the whole day to basically impact the future generation of golfers at a really premium golf course facility. They're not going to normally get an access to play and create a memory that, you know, someday these kids are going to be members somewhere. They're going to play golf somewhere, and maybe it's here because we created that positive environment, positive impact, that positive day on the golf course. So the tribe has been very supportive. When I've been at other clubs, the members love to see the yellow bus in the parking lot. They just think that's great that we're teaching the next generation about stuff. And ironically, I've had Greens Committee members in the past or Greens Committees in the past, and they always have all these questions. Oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that system? I changed my Greens Committee meetings from a boardroom. I says, no, we're going on a field trip. You have issues with Greens meetings? Let me take you out to the green. Let me show you a STEM meter. Let me show you a trooper. Let me show you a light meter. Let me show you the science that I'm teaching these kids. I'm teaching my Greens Committee members. So after about three or four of these meetings, these field trips, have gone, we don't need to question Jeff. He knows what he's talking about because we've all learned. We've been educated on what a golf course superintendent does. So there you go. I'm not chopped liver. Well, I got to tell you, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. And I'm hoping someday you get one of those old Tom Morris awards for this great effort that you've been at for a really long time. When me, when we met all those years ago, 
the golf course industry was under siege and I was working at Michigan State and then Wisconsin doing environmental stewardship work and there weren't a lot of people doing it back then, Jeff. I felt like you and I were a few of the only ones playing around uh, with Ron Dodson in the USGA, but it's still got a lot more lip service than activity. So I really appreciate you sticking with it all these years and on all your dedication. And I'll look forward to watching you get a big award someday because I know it's going to be really deserving. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you very much, Frank. Big thanks to Jeff Gullickson. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. The plant food company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability. And Frost Inc. spray technology products who strive to make your spray day a great day. You can listen to us on Block Talk Radio, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger. Graphic design, Nicole Rossi. Theme music, Tucker Rossi. And executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.